Father, thank you for your word and for uh, just all the people here. God, we thank you that uh, even the rain can't dissuade people from coming and uh, wanting to uh, hear from you, Lord, wanting to love on each other, and we just thank you for it. Pray that this word falls on good soil. Lord, help us to get out of it what you want us to get. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been going through uh, this uh, rooted uh, groups uh, and small groups during the week, and um, if you are not a part of one, um, we will be doing them again. Uh, we're about halfway through right now, uh, but we're kind of matching the topics on Sunday, and so you can still get some value out of the topic uh, that we are on, and we're just kind of working through that because uh, as we grow, you know, we want to grow inwardly right? Even more so than we want to grow outwardly, right? We want our roots to grow down. We want to be uh, firmly secured in our faith and in our walk with the Lord so that when the storms come, like today, like last night I got woken up, I know probably three in the morning, there's just a huge, huge lightning strike. I mean, it must have been right, right by our house. I mean, it sounded like took part of our house off. And, you know, I never even got up. My wife's like, you didn't even wake up. I said, I was awake. I just didn't want to get up and protect anybody. I just wanted to go back to bed. So I just, I just faked to sleep. But there's a problem. I know that you, you or Jackson could handle it, whoever else was there. Uh, but anyway, you can uh, get in a storm and it can knock you over. Have you ever felt like, today's topic is, uh, we have an enemy. And my question is, have you ever felt like there's a, some kind of unseen force working against you? Working against your life? Like something is always going wrong for you. There's always a challenge. There's always an obstacle. Every time you try to move forward, something gets in the way. You know, I had that experience when I went to Bible college. I got there, and from day one, it seemed like they were against me. I mean, really against me. Like they had eyes on me, focused on me, looking for a problem, looking for an issue, some reason that they were going to get me in trouble. And I was in trouble all the time. And I'm like, you guys are after me. So I told the guy that was the, the dean guy, the guy that watched over the dorm and stuff, I said, you know what? I said, you guys are against me. He says, no, we absolutely are not, because we treat you like every other person. I said, well, then you're not treating them good. I said, but I know, because I have friends with these other people, and you are after me. And he's like, no, no, we're not after you. I go, That's, you are. And I told Carrie, who I was dating at the time, I said, these guys are after me. And of course, like any uh, good wife, uh, soon-to-be wife, she's like, of course they are. I support you 100%. <laughs> well, when the semester was over and I was leaving... The guy that managed our dorm, the dorm guy, he comes and pulls me aside. This is a true story. He pulls me aside, and he apologizes, and he says, I just want you to know that you were right. And I go, I was right about what? He goes, we were against you. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I was told before you came to keep an eye on you and to be really strict on you because your brother came before you came. And he did some stuff that we didn't want to have repeated. And so we decided to watch you from the very beginning. And so my brother, who's a pastor in California now, thank you for that if you watch this, almost derailed my whole entire experience because they were after me and I wanted out. But there was a real thing against me. Sometimes there are actual opposing forces against us in our life. Sometimes they're imaginary. Sometimes we make it up because we just want an excuse to be lazy or we want an excuse to not give effort or excuse to be mad. But the truth is that we do actually have a real enemy that we can't always see, but that is at work in our life trying to derail our life and derail our faith and derail our walk with Christ and trying to just take us out. That's a real thing. We're actually in a battle. We're actually in warfare. And we're going to spend today really in just one passage, 1 Peter and uh, this is chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. And what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to actually work through this passage and just break these words down. Because sometimes you see something on the surface and you get a certain amount out of it. But if you dig a little deeper, do I have any lottery players here? Look at you guys. That's why we have church. Yeah, the scratch it kind. Does anybody scratch lottery here? Come on. Close, everybody close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. All eyes closed. No judgment. Does anybody scratch a lottery ticket? Has anyone ever scratched a lottery ticket? Does anyone ever have scratch? Okay, there we go. Hands are going up when the eyes close. Okay. I was at Home Depot yesterday, and I had a gift card, and I give the guy the gift card, and I'm trying to use it. It doesn't work. And he's like, well, on the back, you got to scratch off, and then it gives you a code that you can put into the thing. I'm like, I don't need to win. I already have the card. I'm like, why am I doing this? But you got you to scratch it off if you want to get to the good, the good part. Scratch in. Like, we like, dig in a little bit. We like, get into the word. And like, what does this really mean? We can get a whole lot more out of it than if we just read over it quickly. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of scratch off God's word. We're going to dig in a little deeper to get to the treasure, okay? And everybody's going to leave a winner. Uh, So this first part right here, it says to be sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, this actual word means to uh, properly to be sober, not drunk, not intoxicated. Figuratively, it means to be free from illusion. To be free from illusion from the intoxicating influences of sin. So say, hey, be sober-minded. Like, don't lose your mind in this world. You're inside of a world that has all kinds of temptations, all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things going on. And if you're not careful, you literally will lose your mental sobriety. Well, what's that mean? Well, that means you ever bought stuff, and then when you got home, and you realize how much stuff you're unloading from the car, you're like, how did this happen? Huh? You went to Costco hungry? Right? Or you went to the clothing store after you just lost a few pounds and you forgot that next month you're going to gain a few pounds back and you bought all this stuff. And you're like, what happened? I did that. I went on a site to buy an auction because I was going to flip a car. Praise God. I was going to make some big money. A little pastor side hustle. Only the pastor is the one that got hustled on the side by a, a guy that knew what he was doing. <laughs> I went on to buy one car. Four cars later, it was a nightmare. Let's just say I had to get towed back. One car, this is the only, the only part I'll tell you. One car, literally I was driving home and it started wobbling on the road. I had to go up to Dallas to get him. It was wobbling on the road. And in all fairness, uh, Justin, the car mechanic guy, said, do not buy a car off an auction. They will devour you and eat you alive. I said, well, maybe, maybe. But I, I got a plan. My plan ended with me driving down the freeway from Dallas back, excited about my car. It's wobbling all over the road. And I finally pull over and stop and get out, and I look up a mechanic. I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I'm actually going to crash. And I decided to take a back road, not the freeway, from the beginning, because I didn't know the car well. A good thing, because it's wobbling on, like, going 35, 40 miles an hour. And my wife's calling me, how's it going? How's the car? Because she told me not to do it. I won't say it again. And so I'm driving, and I'm in the car, and she's asking me, how's it going? And I'm, you know, I'm, of course, my phone's out of range. I'm not getting these messages. (laughs) I call a mechanic who's close by. It's a Sunday night. Luckily, one was open. I'm in this little tiny town between here and Dallas, and I just slowly drive it there, really, really slow, like two miles an hour. Get it there, park. I tell the guy, I say, hey, I got a problem with this car. Could you, could you fix the wheel or something? Maybe it needs tightened. He crawls under it, looks at it, crawls back out, and he goes, get under here. 
And I'm like, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know anything. He goes, get under the car. I'm like, I'm getting under the car. I get under the car, I look. And literally the entire wheel was held onto the axle by an orange ratchet strap. And after about 40 minutes of driving, the ratchet strap had finally started giving way and breaking off. And had I been on the freeway, I would be in heaven right now, looking down on y'all. But I didn't. So anyway, I was intoxicated by the idea of making a little bit of extra money and helping out my family and doing some stuff. And I'm like, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I, said, I made decisions that didn't make sense. Because later when somebody's like, did you ever drive the cars? Did you ever see the cars run? Did you ever look at the cars? Did you have a bunch of extra money to blow and take a risk? No, 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 and no. Well, then what was the problem? I was drunk. (laughs) I was drunk on the idea of making some quick money. And so I got all unsober. And so I need to go to recovery and recover from buying auctions. But I was free from illusion, it says, from intoxicating influences of sin, like selfish passion, greed, etc., Self-will, self-sufficiency, all these things could fall under there. It refers to having the presence of mind, clear judgment, enabling someone to be temperate and to have self-control. Okay, so he's saying to be alert, to be sober. Don't let the world get you drunk on something that it's offering you. I'm lonely. I need to have a relationship. And I get so focused on the need for a relationship that I lose my sobriety on whether it's even a good one or not. This is really bad for me. This is really bad for my family. This is really hurting me. But it could get better. I just need one more drink. The problem isn't that I'm drunk. It's that I'm not quite drunk enough, so I still realize where I am. I need a little bit more of the world. Then it will work. And so we get into this mindset to have one's wits and faculties about them. The opposite of being irrational. This is what it's talking about. It then says be watchful. And that word actually means to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Be vigilant. Don't zone out. Don't lose track. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, it's all too much for me. I'm out. I'm just here. I'm just going through it. I'm just going through the motions. I'm asleep. I'm a dead man walking. I'm just going from day to day. We can get like that because the world is just too much. I'm zoning out. I'm zoning out on whatever area I can. There's a guy in Africa, and I was there on a, on a mission trip, and he was in his 70s. I think he was 72 years old. He would climb uh, these trees, these, like pole trees with like some branches on the top, and he'd go up there to pray. He'd go up there to pray for like 72 hours. I said, why are you climbing a tree to pray? And through his interpreter, he said, if, if I fall asleep, I'll die. And I'm like, if you fall asleep, you'll die. He says, yeah, I'll fall out. So it keeps me awake. <laughs> sure does. Sure does. I guess that'll keep you awake. I'm not talking about doing that. But what do you need to do to wake up? What do you need to do to keep yourself awake? Spiritually and mentally and engaged. He's saying that. Hey, be sober-minded and be awake. Engage. Why? Because there's an enemy. What does the word enemy mean? It doesn't exactly mean what you think. It's not talking about a military enemy. This actual word here means to properly a prosecuting attorney arguing a case of law. It's an adversary. It's an attorney. You ever have those accusing thoughts constantly badgering you? I just woke up. I've only been awake for 15 minutes, and I'm already, they're already going. Emotional thoughts, uh, feelings, all this stuff's going on. It just won't stop. Why? Because there's an actual enemy that is accusing you day and night. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brothers, that he accuses day and night. 
He's trying to accuse you and attack you and tell you, oh, you're a child of God? Well, you can't be a child of God because of this and because of that. Oh, you want to be in community? You shouldn't be in a a community. Nobody wants you because of this, because of that. Oh, you want to be a good father? Well, you're not because of this, because of that. Oh, you want to, just over and over and over again. And then you go online or social media or somewhere and you go, wow, but all these people are amazing. Until you get to know them and realize that they're not posting their whole life. They're not posting their, their real life. They got problems. They got issues. They got struggles. But he's talking about an actual attorney that's prosecuting you. If you think about a prosecutor, they don't just show up and have a case. They study. They, they, they look at the defendant. They look at their history. They look at their record. They look at their life. They look at their connections and relationships. They look at their, every, every aspect of their life to do what? To build a case against them. Well, this was way in my past. I don't know why it keeps coming up, why I keep on having feelings about it. It keeps coming back in my mind. It keeps on. Because the enemy is a prosecutor that's going back through every single place of your record. It could be something that you've already served time for or that you got dismissed. And yet a, a, a good prosecutor, and I say good in the loosest terms, but a prosecutor that's after you will still bring those things up. This case was dismissed, but the charges were filed. So come to your own conclusions. A jury couldn't, they did their time, but was it enough? And they can bring the old things forward and try to use those. And it's, it's a, a tight case that's been built to try to bring somebody down. The Bible says in Proverbs that, that a man seems right when he brings his case until the other side is heard. Sometimes we let a case only because we won't give the other side a chance to speak. And who's the other side? Well, God's word is the other side. I've got this voice in my mind that's condemning me, that's beating me down, says that, that I, I've all made all these mistakes, I can't be forgiven, that God's got no purpose or plan for me, that all these things. And th- this case is so strong, and I've been thinking about it for weeks, and I can't get my mind off it. I'm sh- and we heard the other side of the argument. It might set us free from the first side of the argument. We used to watch, and we don't really watch those anymore, but we used to watch the, the law shows. And it would be like, somebody comes in, like, builds this whole case. And you're like, oh, guilty. Just close it down. Shut, shut. We're wasting taxpayer dollars on this case. They are so guilty. And then the defense comes up, and within five minutes, you're like, jail the prosecutors. They're a bunch of liars. Well, we've got to open God's word and see the other side of the case. The case that's been built against you, that the devil's built against you, that others have built against you, yet God comes in and Jesus says, you know what, I paid for all of those things. I've set them free. I'm moving them forward. I've got a hope and a future and a destiny for them. And so we have to be able to actually listen to the other side. People are another side. We go to our friends. The Bible says in James, it says to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other. Why? So we can be healed. We can be set free. I've sat down with people, and they had this whole thing going on in their mind, and then they sit down, and they say, man, I've just been struggling. I'm under this bondage. I can't get free, and I just need to share it. They share it, and as they are saying it, their facial expression changes, their body language changes, and then when they get done, they look at me, and they go, well, I guessed out loud this sounds stupid. And like a good, encouraging pastor, I say, yeah, it sounds really stupid. (laughs) No, I just say, that's what happens when it gets stuck in your own head. 
is that we've got to get it out and talk to somebody. And the devil uses shame and isolation and all these things that cause us to want to hold it in so that we won't talk about it. So that why? So that the other side, so that our advocate, the Holy Spirit, so that our defenders, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that God's word can't have a say into it. Why they want the, the who wants the case to be done behind closed doors? This case isn't a public case. This case doesn't get anybody else in. It's just me and you. The prosecutor and the accused. There's no judge, there's no jury, there's no defendants, there's nothing. And then he's after you. Well, how are you going to win that? You've got to get out of there and get away from that. You've got to get, it says, goes on to the devil. Who's the devil? It says that the, the, our enemy, the devil, our adversary, the devil. Well, devil doesn't mean what you think it does either. The actual word, if you actually look up the word diablos, it means to slander, to accuse, to defame, to be a slanderer, a false accuser, unjustly criticizing, to hurt, to malign, and check this out, to condemn in order to sever the relationship. What does condemnation and attack do to your relationship with God? It separates it. I was at a church recently, and I was speaking there, and I talked to a guy afterwards, and he had been, had, you know, had a really uh, a rough past. We've all had a rough past in some way, but his was particularly challenging. And he said, yeah, I came to this church about a year and a half ago. And I said, yeah, and he says, I got saved last year. I said, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, the first day I got here, he goes, I parked in the parking lot. And he says, I was so afraid to come inside because he didn't feel like he belonged. He's good enough to be at a church. That I was so afraid to come inside. He said, I just sat out in my car, and he goes, I just snorted cocaine off my dash until I got the courage to come in. Like, we don't hand that out as a greeting to come in. It's not in our welcome basket. But it got him in the door. It's what he had to do to get courage. Why? Because he's being accused day and night. And he showed up at a church, and he felt like, if I go in there, I'm going to get accused more. And I don't know what to do. Why? Because that's what the devil does. He accuses and accuses and accuses and accuses. And he tries to take the courage out of even coming. You go to, you have a case, and you go, and the, the, the police, the prosecutors will say, do you know what? You shouldn't even go to trial. Take a plea deal. Why? Because if you go to trial, it's going to be much worse for you. Take the plea deal. Well, what's the plea deal? Life in prison. What? Well, if you go to court, it's going to be way worse than that. That's pretty bad. Okay, I'll take the plea deal. And then we live in bondage for our whole life to something that God didn't intend us to live in bondage to because it took the plea deal. I don't want to confess. I don't want to talk to somebody. I don't want to work through this. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to break out of this. I'll just take the accusation. I'll just live underneath this bondage for the rest of my life. And it sounds silly, but a lot of people are doing it. You might be doing it. Because you don't want to get it out in the open. You don't want to put it on trial. If you put it on trial, we're going to embarrass you in front of everybody. We're going to embarrass your family because they know you. We're going to embarrass your friends because they know you. Everybody's going to know about this if it goes on trial. Just keep it private and deal with it. Well, that's a strategy. By a, a prosecuting attorney, an accuser, and a slanderer that's been doing this for thousands of years. He started in the, in the Garden of Eden. He started with Adam and Eve. It was his first thing. He started slandering God. Oh, God told you not to eat that? Do you know why? It's because he knows that you'll be better. He knows you'll become like him. He's selfish. He's greedy. He doesn't want you to have the best. Started slandering. Right from the beginning, it's been a strategy. And so he's after you that way. Says that he prowls. This word prowls in this uh, text actually means to comprehensively go around. 
which intensifies in complete circuit going around and around, full circle looking at and watching, just looking and looking, looking, and just trying to actually see and size up. That's what my son did about a year ago when he got as tall as I was. Walking down the hallway and he walks past me and just as he walks past me, he goes, And I'm like, did you drop something? He's like, I'm taller than you are. He was until I knocked him down to his knees. And then he was <laughs> several feet shorter. Hallelujah. But sizing up, looking for an issue. Watching you. Trying to find the problem. He's after you. That's what he's doing 24-7, day and night. Sometimes you lay in bed and you're trying to just go to sleep and your mind won't shut off because it's just accusation and problem. Well, he'll do it to you, but he'll also do it through you if you let him. And you'll become the one always looking at someone else, trying to find a problem, trying to find an issue. Adam and Eve did that. If I'm going to get accused, I'm going to push it off on this person. Do you know what your problem? I'm going to point it over there. And so he'll use the same thing. It says seeking. Properly, this is to seek by inquiring, to investigate, to reach a binding terminal, final resolution, to get to the bottom of it. Basically like running an audit. Like I'm going to go through every single detail and I'm going to figure out what's going on. And when I find it, I'm going to use it against you. Well, do you know what? Go ahead. If you're a vulnerable person, if you're transparent and open, it's like, go ahead. I got problems. I got some issues. I'm the pastor. I'm not always the best dad. I wish I was. I'm not. I'm not always the best husband. I wish I was. I bought stupid auction cars because I wanted to make some money. I wish I didn't. Okay, I'm just a person. And so we can all be, for vulnerable, and somebody says, you know what, I got some dirt on you. Yeah, I got dirt on me too. If you know me, you've probably seen dirt on me. Because I'm a person. If we try not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, that we're perfect, that we have no flaws, that we're invincible, that we're greater than, then when somebody comes to you, I'm going to prove that you're not that great. We're like, okay. Do you need help? I can give you a list. I got some things about me I don't like either. And quit fighting so hard to prove that you're good enough because the bottom line is that you're not. And it's okay to say that. Our culture wants to, nobody can say that. I'm good enough. You're not. The reason you feel like you're not good enough is because you literally aren't. You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not strong enough to do everything on your own. You need people in your life to do things with you. If you were good looking enough, you wouldn't need a... The bottom line is we're not perfect. We need Jesus. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm not enough. But I've got God on my side and he is enough. He's with me and that's all right. We're doing this together. And to be able to do that, goes on to say devour. He's seeking who he can devour. What does that mean? It means to, to consume, to drink down, to swallow, destroy, like literally just consume it, to bring it in. What's the best way that to consume you? Is it through... Lust? Do you get consumed with lust? Like this consumed my mind now and my heart and it's like that's all my focus? Do you get consumed with bitterness? I'm struggling and working on it all the time. I'm worried about this offense that happened to me, you know, last year, last week, a decade ago. Like this, I'm so bitter about this still. And it's consuming your life, consuming your energy, consuming your thoughts, consuming your heart. Is it busyness? I can never sit down. I can never stop because I'm too busy. Consumed by activity. But Pharaoh said, 
He didn't want Moses to take the people out to worship in the desert that when he was first trying to get them out of Egypt, trying to get the Israelites out, he said, do you know what? Make them gather their own, their own straw and give them more bricks to make. Do it all, put more work on them. And the reason he said was because then they will be busy and they will forget all this nonsense about worshiping their God. That was literally his strategy was to make them more busy. He still uses it today. There's always something else to do. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for devotions. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be vulnerable and talk to somebody. I don't have time to care for you. I'm just trying to survive, man. You have to make the choice to slow down. Choice to be able to actually take the time to do it. But it's literally devouring to look at and, and to try to, to consume you. It could be through entertainment. It could be through anxiety. My anxiety devours me. It eats me up. It's literally consuming me. I can think about nothing else but, but the anxiety that I feel. You can take us through all these different things that he works on. And it's like he's going through a buffet line looking at you. You ever been through like a buffet at a potluck? All the food you can eat, but everybody else brought it? You're like walking around looking, thinking, oh, I need some of that before it's gone. Oh, I want to get a little bit of that. And you're trying to think through, I got to get that. But you're like seven back in line, you start counting people. And then bitterness comes in because one guy took a bigger scoop than he should have. And you're looking, you've already done like the mental math on it. You're like, oh my gosh, like I took three sausages. I'm never going to get sausage. It's over. I ought to go home. Forget it. I hate this church. And you start to feel that way. This is looking for something to take. Well, the devil's looking at you that way. Oh, I'm going to get a little bit of bitterness on them. I'm going to love that. Can't wait. Oh, I'm going to get them on that. I'm going to put a little bit of that on the plate. Yes, tonight I'm going to get them anxious and work on them. Oh, a little insecurity. I'm going to, oh, yeah, I'll put a little insecurity on the side there. That's going to be awesome. I'm just going to work them over. And he, he's looking for ways to get us and to devour us. He loves it. It's to come and to get you. And some of us are just serving the plate ourselves. Here, you can have me on all these ways. Go ahead, bite me. Have at it. We have to be alert and awake and resist. Get off the table. Get away from it. Move. Don't just lie there. Get up. First Peter 5. Um, I'm going to read through this. And this is actually, I think I had a typo on the first part. We start in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 3. This is First Peter 5. I'm going to read through it and put it in context because it's important to have the scripture in context. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. That first part, this is all part of the same chapter. That first part, he's saying, you know, if you're an elder, if you're a leader, if you're someone that's been around, if you, then do this. You know what? Lead. Shepherd, care for, help people, and don't do it because you're trying to get something out of them. Don't try to dominate them and hold something over them. Just do it because you're eager to serve, eager to care for, eager to love, eager to help them, to do it that way. And it says to be an example, to live it out. That's the best way to lead is live it out. This is how I'm, you know, if I'm telling you to be transparent, then I need to be transparent. If I'm telling you to, to be a giver, then I need to be a giver. If I'm telling you to serve, then I need to serve. Right? If I tell you to forgive, I need to forgive. So to walk these things out, to do it, show people. It says, then when the chief, uh, chief shepherd appears, you will receive 
unfading crown of glory. And then he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He's not talking about kids. He's talking about people who are new to the faith. I've just started following the Lord. Then be subject. I don't be subject to anybody. Be subject. Come under some people that can mentor you. Let them speak into your life. Well, nobody speaks into my life. Well, that's how you used to live. But if you become a believer, part of that is having this ability to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to listen and I'm going to allow God to mentor me through other people. Someone else will tell me, I think you got a little bit of an anger issue going on. And let them work through it. And it goes on, he says, but being these examples, receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself. That's something you have to choose to put on. All of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So it takes a lot of humility to walk this out. Casting all of your anxieties on him. When we live in pride, we live anxiously. Because the world is constantly telling us we don't measure up. And pride tells us that we can. That's a battle we can't win because we don't measure up. And so it leaves us always feeling like we're falling short. We're always anxious. It's like two wires that don't quite connect and sparks are always going. And that's what happens. We're just living this way. And so we have to let that go. Be humble. And then it goes into this verse. Be sober-minded then and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And so he's telling us that we go through this thing and there's a, a togetherness. People who have been in the faith, encouraging and building up people who are new in the faith. People who are new in the faith, learning from people that are in the faith. And then guess what? All of a sudden, they're the ones now reaching back and helping somebody. And everybody's working together in this place of humility of us all saying, do you know what? None of us are enough, but thank God for Jesus. And we're all here together trying to walk this thing out. That's the path to having victory over the enemy. It's not you being stronger. I thought I just going to be stronger. That's not what it's about. It's actually about being more humble, about laying your life down, trusting more in the Lord, trusting more in the relationships you put around you, trusting in God, and to walk it out. I'm going to give you these five points you can take a picture of, think about, but they come out of this passage. It says to be mature. Really what First Peter 5 is talking about is to be mature and to be genuine in our care for others. If we're growing in our faith, be humble and be teachable. All of us should submit to God and trust him. Every area of our life. There is an enemy, so watch out. Together. Together. You might have a friend or a loved one or somebody that says, hey, you're being attacked. I'm not being attacked. But if you're in a real battle and somebody says, you know, over your shoulder, somebody's shooting at you, your answer is, I'm not getting shot at. Not unless you want to end up dead. Be humble enough to let someone else tell you you're getting shot at. So that you know to take cover. You know to get up, hey, you're wounded. I'm not wounded. If you're in battle, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, please, take me up. Help. Humility helps you survive. It helps you live. It helps you overcome. It helps you have victory. And the last one is the outcome for us is total victory in Jesus. And it ends the chapter that way. It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Talking about Jesus. That he has the dominion of our life that way. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you, God, for the church and all the people here. Lord, I pray, God, that even though there is an enemy, that you will strengthen us in our faith, Lord, in our humility, Lord, in our desire to submit our lives to you. Lord, give us enough love for you and for each other, God, to be open and vulnerable and to trust one another. 
God, and to walk this out, Lord, to allow each other to speak, Lord, and to help in the areas, God, that maybe we have blind spots, Lord, that we could do this together. Father, Lord, we thank you for it. Pray to bless everyone here at the church. In Jesus' name, amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.